Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Donegal Fergus. Donegal is a hitting coach who's been around for almost 20 years. He's coaching the college game, professional game, private sector. He goes through college recruiting, what it's like, what are some of the recommendations he would make if you're a player or parent out there listening. We talk about player development and hitting and how to set up systems that play at different levels. Um, Donegal is, it was a great to talk to. I'm so happy that we were able to connect. And I, I think that if you're a coach or a player or a parent out there, this episode is, is going to bring you a ton of value and you should definitely stick around and listen. Um, because, you know, I learned a lot and <clears throat> I know that someone else out there would probably be able to take one or two things away. So great stuff. Uh, appreciate Donegal for, for coming on the show and taking some time out of his day. Um, if you haven't already, please make sure to go subscribe, rate, leave a review on iTunes. That helps the overall rating of the show and helps more people find out about it so they can have access to um, some of the great guests we've been able to have on. So ladies and gentlemen, here is Donegal Fergus. Now we welcome on Donegal Fergus. Donegal, thanks for coming on the show today. Appreciate you having me, PJ. It's uh, it's been cool. I've been following your work, and uh, we've got some friends in common, and uh, I've heard great things. So I'm excited to to come and uh, chat with you. Likewise, man. And and I know you've had a ton of experience um, as a as a coach and hitting coach at the college and professional level, and working with players privately. Um, you know. What what level do you like, or do you just like coaching? I remember I asked this question to uh, you know a few other uh, guys who've been around a long time. They're like, I I just like to coach. I don't know, you know, what level dependent or anything like that. But I know there's recruiting and other things that go into college. So I mean, what do you, is there a level or a place you prefer? You know, that's a, that's a really it's such a simple question, but it's a it's such a good one too. Uh, somebody asked me this the other day um, who, who knows me pretty well, and he's. I think he was trying to be uh, sort of uh, sympathetic. He's like, Hey, how you doing? You know? Cause he knew I was just doing some lessons with some younger kids and, and uh, he's like, how you doing? And I'm like, you know what? It's, it's actually kind of invigorating to just coach a player, like just get in a cage and coach kids. And, and it reminds you of what you do love about this for me anyway, which is I love you and me we're going to figure this thing out together. You and me are going to get you where you need to go. And just the purity of that coaching process is so great. Like just knowing that you can help somebody else get what they need or want to go where they want to go and be a part of that process is so cool and invigorating. And whether it's an eight-year-old, you know, and those are some challenging things with with eight-year-olds, but it forces you to be a little more careful in your words and be a little more descriptive and think a little harder. And it's great to coach a high school kid who, who you see make huge jumps in two weeks, you know, that's really rewarding, but it's also cool to coach big leaguers who are super smart and incredibly gifted and physically able to do things and, and to dive into the weeds with those guys and, and really turn the screws in, in this area or that area or, or make small adjustments. I mean, I love the process of whatever needs to be done. I think that's the cool part. Uh, for me, I, I loved coaching college. I mean, I loved it because you build relationships with, with, with players. The recruiting part is you pick them, you bring them in, you nurture them, and you get them where they want to go. Like Andrew Martinez, who you get to coach, who, who played for me. Um, that's really a special thing that's unique to college. Um, pro ball was incredible because, like I said, you got to really dive into it with guys who are really capable of a lot of things. Um, and that's all you had to do. You got to focus purely on it. But ultimately, for me, it's it's about that 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 one on one of can I can I help you? Can I can I unlock what's in you? Can I figure you out enough to help you figure out yourself enough to get where you want to go? Use whatever's needed, you know, like it, the arguments that we have today in, in hitting Twitter or just in the hitting world in general about do we need analytics? Do we need technology? In my day, we didn't. Um, and then the over-reliance sometimes for young coaches on those tools today, I think, I think the best coaches have always done both of those things. Use whatever you needed to, like, I'll tell you, I use this analogy all the time. Like I'll, I'll literally say whatever word to you makes you do what we need to do. 
I don't care if it's, if it's banana, 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 like if that gets you to swing the right way and make the contact that you need to cool. I'll yell that like an idiot all day long at you. I don't care. Like if it needs, if we need to go deep into the data to find out what, what needs to be changed or, or, or figure out what your body's actually doing and make some small adjustments on your foot pressure or your, your, your spine angle, like let's do that. Like, and if we need to keep it as simple and, and old school as possible and just say see ball hit ball and that works for you then i'll do that too like getting back to the doing some private work has got me back to that feeling of reminding me that you know pull in whatever tool whatever strategy you want the best coaches can just do that one-on-one with a player and get them what they need and uh it's been really fun and, and that's that's what i miss the most about being a part of a team but I, I love that part of it as much as anything and there's cool stuff around it too Um, whether it's being a coordinator or being a college hitting coach or a head coach or whatever it might be, there's cool stuff and all of that, but, but man, just that, just you and me in a cage and let's get after it is, is just the best. Well, it's hard to do. And I'm sure you know this at times in professional and in college baseball, because of the time, the time constraint, you know, there's, there's guys everywhere. You, it's so hard to find those 20 to 30 minutes of just that one-on-one time versus like you, you're saying in the private sector, like that's, what's so cool about it is like, you have that time to to have those intimate conversations. Yeah. And and I think it's the, it's the great challenge. Uh, I know when I was with the twins, we talked about this a lot about how do we structure our our work better so that we can carve out more of those moments, you know, more of those opportunities to spend time with guys one-on-one college is really difficult because of the legislation and the care regulations around it with uh, you know, with, with the the school and work balance. But I I think, I think the best coaches, again, find ways to to do that. Even if it's not 30 minutes, sometimes it might be a five minute conversation with your arm around a kid just to get him dialed back in or to, to set him up for it later. Like, Hey, tomorrow, we're going to squeeze out some time. I will make that time for you and we will get there. Uh, and, you know, and in pro ball that way too, where you, you were mentioning off the air before we started, just, you know, there's the really good ones are, are craving it. Like, Hey, PJ, can, can I get you for a minute? Can I, can I steal some of your time? And sometimes that's hard because you have other things going on. But um, I think if we, if we can keep that in the center of our, of our, of our focus as coaches, like, Hey, our players matter. That's that's where we start. That's our priority in our world. We build around that. Um, I think it makes you a better coach, and I think uh, I think you get the results that you want as an organization. How do you? How have you been able to balance challenging players based off of their level that they're currently at? Because that can be, you know, there's all these guys on a team. Some are very talented. Some aren't as talented. And how do you make it so in a, in a team format you're able to get everyone what they need and, and challenge? challenge those and that because sometimes you know if you challenge too much to everybody some of the guys who are in the bottom tier right. they get overwhelmed and they just they don't want any part of it so it's 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 hard to sometimes at least for me to find that balance of being able to challenge everyone kind of the same way yeah it, no doubt um it, it it becomes a logistical nightmare sometimes when you have enough bodies and you don't have feel like you have enough time to structure everything um around the appropriate level of challenge for each guy. But I think, I think, you know, I, I think what you do is you, you construct environments that allow for some variability between groups or between players even. And I think, I think sometimes we view challenge in, in sort of the, the strict sense of, okay, it's, it's machine and it's, it's BP rounds that are, are blankets. And, and I think that's part of it. You're creating a, an environment and, and there's some really good, I think what we've done as, as hitting coaches in the last probably five years, as much as anything to make a jump is we've, we've dove into that part of things. I think pitching, pitching world is a little bit ahead in, in that, in that way of, um, because they can, they can do more one-on-one stuff and it's been easier for them to construct those environments. I think hitting we've had to adjust, but I think we're getting better at understanding the blending of, of skill acquisition and, and then the challenge piece and then, you know, build it test it, build it, test it, fix it, test it, you know, in that back and forth. So I think we're on the right track. I think what we need to continue to do is think about creating opportunities where there can be subtle variations within a larger framework. Mm-hmm. So for instance, one of the things that, that, that um, I did with the twins that I really liked was, uh, and we had a couple of really smart coaches. And I can't take the credit for this because we had some really smart coaches that sort of laid the groundwork for this of, of creating enough um, adjustability in the machine work in the setups 
um, but also in the specificity of what each guy was, was, was trying to attack that day. So for certain guys, it might be more swing focused. Like the, the machine is a real challenge for them. And that and we might have a player who is ready for that mechanically and, and physically to handle that challenge. We might have another guy who isn't quite ready for that. So it's more approach and take base, right? It, it's more recognition based. So we took away some of the swing component to him. It might be of a round of six. He might be to take four and, 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 and simply be, be more of a stand in almost, right? Like, like we would do sometimes you're like, Hey, go stand in on this bullpen. So you can at least see some pitches or you can see this arm angle that, that gives you fits and, and, and just kind of altering or shifting slightly the focus of his work. So not everybody is just trying to hit five out of six hard contact or five out of six at a certain angle or a certain velocity or whatever the, the you know, the output uh, metric might be. We might just take away some of the sting of that and say, Hey, listen, I don't, we don't care about your ball flight today. We don't care about your contact today. We simply care about your recognition today. So we want you to see that. And we're going to build the, the swing to match that or to be capable of dealing with that. And, and just by dialing back his external expectations, now that player can at least go in there and say, okay, all right, I see Johnny hammering balls off of this thing. I'm not quite ready for that. I want to be, but I'm not quite ready for that. I'm okay with that because I know that I've taken my – my people have taken the sting away of that. I don't have to be at his level yet. He's a black belt. I'm a brown belt. That's okay. Like I can build up to that. Um, I think it's about altering expectations across the board. And I, I think one of the things that you have to do is you have to get everybody on that page. If you have, if you have, I, this is really common in college where you might have a head coach who's, who's not directly involved in the offensive piece, but you know, he's eyeballing it pretty good. And uh, he's the one that writes the lineup and he's standing out behind second base, watching BP like this going, why is that guy hitting another fly ball? Or, you know, or why is he backside again? Or why is he underneath it? Right. And, and the player knows that that coach is looking at me and he's the one writing the lineup. But if you've got that guy on board too, with, Hey, listen, today, it's not going to look good. It's, it's going to be rough. It's going to be kind of brutal. It's going to look like he's bad, but he's not. We're, we're, we are pur purposely pushing him outside of his comfort zone a little bit. So I need you to get on board with this. And I need you to embrace this, that we are going to celebrate the small victories. We're going to celebrate something different than what another guy who's a little farther along in that process is at, right? And saying, hey, man, you did an incredible job today of taking the two pitches that you cannot swing at, right? That give you fits that cause your mechanics to break down. And yeah, you didn't barrel up four out of the other six, but you put decent swings on it. You were, you were relatively on time. But what I'm really proud of, because it was our objective today, was for you to take and differentiate the, the ones you should swing at versus the one you're not. And now the boss says that too, or you know, the director of player development says that, whoever that might be, those other people who need to understand that we, we need to create an environment for this guy to learn in and grow in. And then, yes, there are going to be days where we're like, hey, man, it's go time. You got you to produce today. Cause everybody knows that like there's a bottom line production that has to happen at some point, but if you just immediately throw them into that world, sometimes you're going to lose, lose an opportunity to really grow. And, and I think it's about managing expectations individually within a framework that allows you to make subtle adjustments. And it's hard. Like you can't go, all right, we set up the different machine for this guy. And then, you know, like I, I get that. That's always going to be just too much. Like we don't have unlimited time and resources you know, manpower to, to change and alter every single thing. But you can also dial, you can adjust dials a little bit or set up the groups a little bit, put the brown belts together and the black belts together today. And it's the same general setup, but maybe we dial the machine back a little bit or we lower the angle or we have a machine on the mound and one in front, which is a little bit easier for them to handle. And it's a progression step. I think you, if you're creative enough about getting ahead of that process and saying, where are we trying to go with this player? Let's map this thing out and always adjusting and evaluating, but creating enough of a framework that we can have some variability based on what that guy certainly needs. And then really as much saying, like I said, managing those expectations and giving them a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and then pushing them into the pool and saving and swimming, pulling it back out, fix it, push it back into the pool when he needs to. Everybody needs that. We need challenge. Our brain craves challenge, but you sometimes have to give them just a little bit of it, a little bit of it. And then shove it into a, their face and, and, and see what happens and then, and then catch them and bring them back, embrace them. Let's fix it. We're, we got this. You knew there were going to be days like this and now we can move forward. Now, that was beautifully put. I, I love how you, that's how you individualize really in a team setting where it's like everyone is essentially doing the same thing, but 
they're not in the sense that, you know, you're telling one guy to take a few pitches versus another guy. He's, his plan is a little bit different. I, I really, really like that. That was really well put. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it's subtle, but it, it's a big difference. If, if, if my objective is to barrel four of six balls and I'm ready to do that. And I, and that is what I'm testing today. I have put in the work on my swings in a place where that is a reasonable expectation for my level then great, let's do that. And let's put the challenge up to see if you can match that. And if you need more challenge after that, if you barrel five or six out of six, then we need to turn the challenge up. Cool. So it's not just about the guy who's not ready for what we think the challenge is today. It's also about maybe getting more today for the guy who we who we were not sure about. Like, yes, we're trying to figure out where he's at. And shit, he's farther along than we thought. So let's dial it up even more. But now we can also dial it back for the guy who's not quite at that level. And just building, just being a little bit, proactive on setting up enough of, uh, of subtle differences, um, that you can, you can make small modifications to either the, you know, the actual test or just the expectations of the test. How have you been able to help players uh, game plan for opposing pitchers? And I know that's, that's a vague question just because everyone's so, so different and, and sees different things and their perceptions a little bit different. But I mean, have you found that like one way has worked better in, in a team setting or how, how have you gone about that? And maybe in professional baseball and in college too, because I know you've been doing this a long time. Yeah, I, I think it's the, the, the concept of the process is, is really similar in professional baseball. You just have more information, which is great. Like we just, we have so much information on, on every, almost every opposing pitcher at the lower levels. It's a little more difficult because you, you have some younger guys that don't have as much of a track record or haven't played yet too. Um, but you, you generally speaking, you have much more information at, at the professional level, but it's the same process, which is let's start with you. What do you do? Like, what are you capable of? What are you good at? Let's start there. And then where does that converge with what that pitcher does well or not does well? So it's sort of a Venn diagram of pitcher strengths at the top, right? Hitter strengths here, and then pitcher's vulnerabilities. And where do those th- three categories sort of converge is where I usually start with players is, all right, he's really good at this and he wants to do this. Where does that match up with what you're capable of? And maybe those are good. Like you're also good at hitting that, right? Or handling that location or that pitch or that sequencing or that, that, that plan. And that might be a great matchup today. Cool. Then those two things are really aligned and we can go for it. Right. But it also might be, Ooh, that's going to be tough for me today. So where are my strengths and where is this pitcher vulnerable? Cause pitchers are the same as hitters. They have strengths and they have vulnerabilities. So where is that vulnerability? Where is, where is he prone to getting beat? So where is his hard contact rate? Where is his, um, you know, where is he, where does he miss a lot and get hit? Where does that converge with what we're also good at doing? Um, and maybe it might not be our primary strength, but it might be a secondary strength and it's his primary vulnerability. Well, that's a pretty good matchup right there. If we can, if we can find those two convergences, um, and certain guys, you want to really go into it. Like certain guys are, are, are wired to think, uh, a little bit deeper and say, Hey, I might, I might have a count that I'm really, I'm, I'm focused on. He's 82% change up in that one, one count. He loves that. That's a, that's a, a real anomaly and it's super super high percentage that I can reasonably take some chances at, at, at sitting on. So I know that if I'm, I have that in my back pocket, if I get to that count, maybe I can sit on a pitch. Those are, those are some anomalies that, that are fun to pull out for certain guys. Not everybody loves those. Um, but for a lot of guys that that's sort of helpful having maybe one count that you can go, Hey, I got a reasonable um, chance at, at guessing right here, or, or I'm going to, I'm going to sell out for a certain thing. Cause that really fits my swing profile or what I'm good at. And, and I know he likes to do it. So I'm going to, I'm going to sit on that. So picking out some of those, those, those interesting spots um, can be good. I think ultimately what most hitters want more than anything is just to understand what they're about to face. Um, what's the arm action like? Where's the ball going to feel like it's coming out of? What's it going to feel like to me? Is it going to feel like it's on me? Is it going to feel like it's running away from me? Right. D- does, does he go North South on me? Does he expand wide to me? Like what, What's it going to be like to stand in there, right? And and getting them prepped for what they're about to experience. Because then often they know themselves enough or at least have an inkling of, well, I know what happens when I feel tied up. Like a guy who really works into me or ties me up or the ball feels like it gets on me. I know what normally happens to me in those scenarios. And, and as coaches, we should also know those things and say, all right, so we're going to prep for this today. We're going to get you ready for that because we know that this causes you often to do this thing in response. 
So let's make sure that we're dialed in and we're moving properly or we're, we're in the right mindset to deal with, with what's going to come at us. I think it's about not walking in like, I don't know what's going to happen today and I'm, and I'm uncomfortable with that process. At least having something that they can go to that gives them a plan. And it might just simply being, hey, we're hunting up today, right? We're just anything up is go today, you know, and, and, uh, and giving them a feeling like, all right, at least I've got something to go to battle with, right? I've got a thing that I can attack. And if I can make him do something different then I've, then I'm in a good place. And, and then, you know, adding layers to that, if, if again, a guy's got some predictable pitch sequencing or, or he, he tends to miss in a certain location and we want to really hammer that home because we have some really predictive information. Great. Let's do that. But ultimately I think it's about trying to trying to find that convergence of where am I good and where can I have some success today against this guy? What, what do I need to, to avoid? And, and we typically don't talk in the, in the avoid or negative directly, but it's, it's understood that this is what he wants you to do. So we're not going to give into that. We're going to make him do this because this is what we're going to attack. And this is vulnerability. You know, I, I don't, I don't always love war analogies because uh, we're playing baseball and, and, <laughs> and war is serious business. But I do think it's a little bit like, like that. It's like, how am I going to attack this, 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 this invading army here? Where are they vulnerable? You know, guerrilla warfare, let's sneak around the back and, and get them. And, when they're not looking, I, I think that there, there is something to that concept of finding the, the, uh, the chink in the armor and, and, and where can I, where can I get this guy? And if I'm high, and if I'm able to attack that, then, then I feel like I've got a chance against the pitcher because hitting's hard, man. And pitchers are really good and they're getting better and better. And, and, and I think, uh, I think that's what most guys want to feel like. is just like, I can walk into the box though. And I got a, I got a decent plan and if I can stick to it, I've got a chance of success today. Yeah, I mean, speaking of pitchers getting better, better. I mean, just yesterday we were facing a guy sitting 90, 97 to ninety nine um, for strikes plus a secondary yeah. pitch. I mean, it's it was like, man, this is a low A. <laughs> this is insane, yeah. you know. And, yeah. Um, did that catch you by surprise when you got back into pro ball for the college game? Is like, man, there's these guys are crazy. You know, I, I don't think it caught me by surprise. I think, I think what because I've been doing this long enough, I've seen this coming. Like just the level across all levels has, you know, the level of, of skill on the pitching side has increased so dramatically in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. It's, it's pretty staggering and, and kudos to all the pitching coaches out there. Um, it's, you know, it's a different ball game. You can control so much more in the pitching world than you can in the offensive world. Like we're such a reactionary thing that it's, it's just much harder to control those factors. Um, so good job by them getting them better. The velocity has climbed. Um, and you know, you can argue that the command has dipped. Uh, uh, I would disagree in some ways. Um, you know, everybody wants to point to, you know, Greg Maddox and the pinpoint control and not throwing 97, but, um, that also came later for him too. Like he, he was a hard thrower early. And, and I think we just, those narratives are easy to, easy to form. So uh, you can see this coming that guys are just getting better and better. So it didn't surprise me so much as, um, as reiterated to me how far we have to go in the hitting space, right? It was just, it was just more confirmation. that I think we gotta, we gotta, we gotta get a little more creative. We gotta push the envelope a little bit more. We can't just keep doing the same things that we've always done in the hitting space and expect the same results. It's just not going to work that way. We got to push ourselves a little bit more, get uncomfortable with our process a little bit more. And um, I think we need to examine the way we approach the science of it the application of it, the teaching of it, because they're not going, pitchers aren't going anywhere. We're not, you know, we might lower the mound, we might move it back, but they're going to figure out a way to get, get right back to where they are now, which is throwing harder, throwing more strikes. And that secondary step just gets better and better and gets more of it. Right. And so it wasn't a surprise so much as just a, just a, a reiteration that we got to do a better job on the hitting side. Yeah, I, I agree. There's a lot of work to be done and as a hitting coach. I mean, there's there's always someone who needs more help. There's even if you win by 10 to nothing. I mean, there's there's someone who's still struggling in and, and, yeah. and it's it's crazy. I mean, it's like even when the team, it doesn't matter. Like there's always work to be done. It's like an impossible job. <laughs> it, it It is. It, I, I laugh with my pitching coach friends about this because uh, you can literally have a perfect game on the mound and you'd be like, I'm the greatest pitching coach in the world. This guy, there's nothing. Good job. Perfect game. You did it. There's no chance of a perfect game of hitting. It just doesn't exist because we're going to get out 27 times. 
you know, because the game has to end. So we are inherently going to have failure all across the game. We could get 30 hits and score 30 runs, and there's still going to be 27 of those got out or, or 24 of them, if, you know, we win the game, obviously. But there's never going to – that's never going to go away. And, and our whole world is built around failure, complete and total failure. And every hitter is the same way, which is like, okay, yeah, cool, I did some stuff today, but I also got out today, or I also missed that pitch that I wanted back, or I also – didn't quite catch up to that one that I should have hit. Like I want that one back. We're filled with that all the time in hitting and managing that is such a crazy um, chore. Uh, and, and so we have to adjust the way we approach that. And I think um, we're getting better at it. I really do. And, and as much grief as I think the hitting world has taken recently, uh, in, especially with the big league narrative of hitters have never been worse. I don't believe that. I don't think that's true at all. I don't think hitters have ever been better. Um, we are, we are better than ever. We're just, we're just playing catch up a little bit in terms of, um, maybe areas of focus or the way we evaluate what we're trying to accomplish. Um, runs, we're still scoring a bunch of runs guys. We're just doing it in a little bit different way. And maybe aesthetically it needs to change a little bit. I get that. Um, and certainly we want to hit the ball more and and a lot of those things, but we're, (laughs) we're playing a game that's just so consumed with failure. Um, it's almost incomprehensible to normal people. So let's, let's keep that in mind. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing is, you know, there's so many things that go on during the game, like a, the umpire, you know, and, and not letting the umpire get to us too. I, cause I've, I've heard that from several guys. It's like, man, you know, I, I he made one bad call and it just mentally took me out of the entire yeah. bat, you know, it's yeah. helping them through that process too, which is not, not easy, but, uh, you know, I actually, I actually personally don't want there to be an automated strike zone because I like <laughs> the human element. I really do. I do. I think it's, it's good. Um, and, and the higher up you go at the major league level, I mean, those umpires are pretty freaking good. I mean, yeah, I get it. They miss calls here or there, and it's always highlighted on social media, but for the most part, they're pretty good. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I, I really, I love the fact that it's still people doing this thing, right. I mean, we're still people out there. Um, and you know, my, anybody that, that saw me coach in my younger days knows that I had a few more than a few problems with umpires, um, and express them. But I, I do appreciate the fact that we're all supposed to be doing a job here. And, and I, I do like that element. I think there's also an aesthetic element too. And, and I was listening to Theo Epstein talk the other day about just some of the things he was sort of, I wasn't apologizing for, but he's like, Hey, I had a hand in sort of getting us where we are today with maybe some extremes of shifts and, and, and strikeouts versus homers and, you know, sort of that narrative that's out there. And he's like, what people really want is action and those sort of things. I think that's part of it. There's an aesthetic thing to baseball that's so beautiful and the people that really love it. And, and then when it's right, has a feel to it. And I think we're going to lose that a little bit, uh, probably a lot. If, if we take, take the, take that component away, it's also, we're not as close as I think we probably think we are to getting that strike zone really really dialed in from a, from a mechanical standpoint, because the three-dimensional aspect of it, we, we noticed that in, 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 uh, in instructs um, last fall, just in terms of trying to run it off a track man and, and doing it that way, there were some pitches that you're just like, yeah, I know that technically that's a strike by, by some metric, but there's no way that you're going to reasonably ask hitters to hit that. That's just not something that, that we're going to be able to do that. The 12, six breaking ball that comes down the stovepipe is technically a strike, but we don't, the physics don't really allow for that to be, to be, <laughs> to be a ball that we should be able to swing at and reasonably expected to do that. So I think there's just still more work to do on that end if that's where we're going. But I, I do, I agree with you. I, I just, the, the beauty of the game gets lost a little bit if we take some of that away. And, and there's always like replay is a great example of this. We, we, we put in replay to ostensibly take away the, the, the minor screw ups. What we actually created is more delays. And, and more confusion about like, wait a minute, is that really what we wanted? Because he popped up just slightly, right? And maybe the glove stayed on, but he was really on the bag still. And I, like the, the, the stuff that we didn't anticipate, uh, unintended consequences seem to be biting us in the replay world. And, I, and I'm worried that the mechanical strike zone or the automated strike zone ends up being that way too, where, oh yeah, we didn't really think about that. That kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. People don't like that. Okay. Whoops. <laughs> Are bad. We, maybe we should have thought about this a little bit more. I just hope that we continue to think about it in terms of, all right, what are we not thinking about might crop up because of this? Um, we've got a pretty cool product. We've got a game that's 
that's loved by millions and, and we all love to be a part of. Let's make sure we keep that at the forefront of it. I, you know, in a sense, I really like that the uh, pitchers are, are better and throwing harder because it makes us as hitters and hitting coaches like we have to teach these guys about uh, having a plan, having an approach, training the right way, all these things or else like the game will tell you like you got no shot. And I mean, that's not me. That's just like him blind, blowing 98 mile an hour fastballs right by you or, you know, swing at stuff in the dirt left and right. So in a sense, I kind of like it because I, I like getting into approaches with players and the, the mental start of the game and, and things like that. I just think it's even at younger levels, it, it's not the sexy thing, but it's gosh, it's so important. I mean, it really is. I think emotions can clean up mechanics and, and intent and things like that faster than any one or two drills can. No question. And and, you know, it's if you really great competitors want to compete against the best like they crave it and and. To your point about being excited, the pitchers are better than ever. I, I agree. I, I'm mesmerized by some of the pitchers we get to see. Like they're amazing, and and the way they can manipulate the ball and get it to do things is incredible, and it's awesome, and it's fun to watch and fun to like. All right, let's see if we can figure out how to how to get this guy right. Um, I think I think really good competitors like that, and they understand that it is a mental thing. Like if you if you think that this is too much, and we 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 can't let you be this good, then you're not as good a competitor as you probably think you are. The really good competitors are like, all right, all right, let's figure this out. I want to see if I can do this. Set that up again. Let's try it. Let's get, get after it. Or you got me this time, but I'm going to, I'm coming for it. And I'm going to get you. That's the mental battle that, that really elite hitters, I think have intuitively. And that hitters that turn themselves into elite hitters learn how to do like some people do it instinctively and some people have to develop it and learn it. But I think we can, and I think we need to continue to, to bite off chunks of that. I think it's probably one of the certainly untapped. The mental game has become more of a part of our, our lexicon. Uh, I think certainly the last 10 years, but I think just the way the brain works and responds and interprets things and then deals with failure and, and struggling and, and challenge is just, it's the next frontier and where we go, the adding in the visual component as well. But that brain power process is, is just so fascinating. And I think that's where we've got to make a, another jump uh, from the offensive standpoint, when you've seen players want to like become better competitors and become hungry, because I know you, you mentioned, and I totally agree, like, there's some guys that are born with it, and I've seen that firsthand. Other guys aren't. How have you seen the guys who aren't make that transition? Has it been from the environment that they've been placed in around other players, or has it been just you just constantly staying on them and just like hyping them up and like you can do it, you can do it, or has it just been a little bit of everything? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of everything. I think each person is individually um, wired a certain way and 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 prone to certain things, and, and we can alter that. We certainly can. We can we can control our mindset more than we we think. Uh, I think it's environment to a large degree. I think you see players who are around other really tough minded or or dedicated or focused players get that way themselves, and and a lot of guys who are you know not wired that way, if they're around other players who are sloppy on the details and aren't as tough and don't crave challenge in the same way, then that, that bleeds in. I, um, I think that's, you, you need to always be mindful of, of the group dynamic there. Um, so, you know, creating an environment where everybody understands that the challenge is part of the process and it is a good thing and we want it. And we're, we're, we're going to work together on it. We're, we're not always going to look great, but that's cool. We can support each other through the, the tough ones and, um, and embracing challenge in that, in that, in that way where we don't enjoy it the same way we enjoy hitting cage bombs, but we still know that we need it and we crave it in that way, but also the individually stuff, you know, there, there's times when you can prop guys up for a little while so they can stand on their own and then they can, they, now they get a little bit more of that feel and confidence. And, and I think getting guys to alter the perspective on, where they're at and where they're going helps as well for those guys who are trying to build that foundation of success. You can prop them up for a little bit, but it's a little bit false. Like if you're relying on me to be your hype man for very long, we're probably going to, we're probably missing something. It, it does. It is helpful for a while and your teammates and everybody can help with that. But ultimately then shifting the way you think about where you're headed is really helpful for guys too. Is I, I talk about that in, in your question about, sort of the training environment and how do I challenge different players at different levels appropriately? I think it's the same concept, which is um, if, if, if I am expecting myself to be at the level that 
I'm a college kid and I'm expecting to be at the level of a Nelson Cruz or Josh Donaldson or somebody who's been doing it for, for a, a long, long time at a really, really high level. That's just, that's not reasonable. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to live up to that right now. And I think as coaches, we often fall into that too, which is, wait a minute, I told you how to do this. Why aren't you doing it this way? Why aren't you better at this? And we, and it's not coddling them to, to say, Hey, you're not there yet. So I'm not going to expect something from you. I expect commitment, focus, effort, change, adjustment, all those things. But that, those are process things, right? Not, I expect you to hit 20 homers this year, right? And, and that's a simple concept that I think most coaches understand if they step back and look at it logically, like don't put a number on it, just put a process point on it. But I think players don't always understand that because we don't communicate that very well sometimes as coaches. We players still think that we're expecting them to hit a certain number or do a certain amount of, of, of production. And I think we have to be explicit and, and communicate clearly that, hey, here's what I expect of you. Very honestly, I expect you to work this hard. I expect you to focus this much. I expect you to make these changes. I expect to see adjustments, like all of those things that you want. Be very clear and honest about them. And when they don't meet them, then tell them and, and be honest about that too. Players will respond to that as long as they know the game. They know what is expected of them. One of the things I wanted to do when I stepped into the coordinator role was say, listen, the organization expects this from our players, right? These are the things we value as an organization offensively. These are the things you're going to be judged on and evaluated on to get to the big leagues. What are those things? If I can communicate, if I know them, then I can communicate those to the players. And now they know what's up. And even if they don't agree, like, hey, I don't think that's this metric should be as important. Or I don't think this thing that you think I should do is as important. That's okay. That's your right to not agree with that. But that's what you're being judged on. So now at least you have ownership over going after those things. And I think that's what gives players confidence is at least I know what I'm going to be asked to do. And if I can do that, then I have a reasonable chance of success. But if you're just sort of guessing at what people are expecting of you, that's a really confusing place. And there's nothing that erodes confidence like confusion and uncertainty. So taking that away and saying, hey, here's the score. Here's what you got to do. And here's how we're going to get you there. All right, now let's go and attack it. And that gives guys the starting point to build that confidence. That was great. Great point. Great point. How was how that differentiated between the college game in the sense of in college, you tell guys exactly what to do versus in the right. pro game, like you kind of have to nudge or convince guys in a sense of getting them on board? Yeah, I, I, I guess I don't look at it quite like that. I mean, I okay. think probably generally speaking, that's that's somewhat true is you certainly have more control over guys in college and in professional baseball, right? There's no doubt about that. But I don't think they're um, I don't think it's really any different how you get to the same spot, which is a player in college might just not know as much as a professional player because he just hasn't played as much. So he might be more likely to go, hey, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So would you please tell me? Um, but you still have guys who think, hey, I know what I'm pretty good at. And I'm an elite player and I know that I want to play in the big leagues. And here's what I'm trying to do. Um, you still need to give them good stuff. And, and people always ask me, what was the most, you know, what was the most difficult transition in from college into professional baseball? Was it that you had to, you know, convince those pro guys to listen to you? And I'm like, no, because really good players want good stuff. Josh Donaldson wants good stuff. He just like, if you've got good info that can help me, cool. We're going to be homies. We're going to be good. Like, give me good stuff. If you've got junk for me, get out of here. I don't have time for you. And that's college kids too. They don't always express it in the same way because they're not as fully developed or, or fully aware of that. But they're all responding to the same thing. Like if your boss tells you, hey, you got to do this. And you're like, well, that's dumb. That's that doesn't make any sense. I, why would we do that? That's going to be counterproductive or it's not going to help me. Or you don't know me at all, clearly, because you gave me a direction that doesn't make any sense to me what I'm good at. You would be like, huh. And you're going to erode that trust a little bit. You're going to you're going to go. I, and as an adult, you might be strong enough to go, hey, can we talk about this? But younger players just don't know enough to do that. So you have to be more on the on the proactive side of that and saying, hey, listen, I'm not going to just give you something without any context or without any basis in it. I'm now there might be times when I'm when I'm telling you, just just trust me on this and do it. But those are usually in college more about the process of how hard you need to work or what you need to focus on. It's not that hitting this way or that way is better or worse. That's, that's technique. That's skill. That's still a collaboration, right? I still need to give you the why I still need to give you the context. Um, 
if I'm setting expectations, I can dictate it a little bit more. But you can still do that in pro ball. Like, hey, man, this is how we work, right? This is the expectation of being a professional baseball player in this organization. This is the level of effort and, and intensity you need to have. So I don't think that changes that much at all. Players still respond to good stuff. Player, good players want good information and good help. That doesn't change wh- whether they're eight years old or 48 years old. They want good stuff. And if you can help them, then they're in, right? You don't have to convince them of things. So the nuance is in how much information do we have? How far along are you in your development? But the process is really the same, I think. It's it's just a matter of how do I communicate that to my players? And, and, and whether it's one player or the group, it's all about the way that we communicate the expectations and how we're going to roadmap that to get to those. Yeah, I'm glad you answered it that uh, answered it that way. That was awesome. And I, I was just curious personally, honestly, just because I've never coached college baseball and and I've I have heard different things. And and I mean, you put that really well and it makes a ton of sense where good players just want good stuff in general. Uh a few I don't know if it was a few years ago, maybe it was a year ago or so, I, I saw that you had, had posted something essentially saying like if you if you're a good coach, you're a good recruiter too. Um when in the college game. And what makes a, a good recruiter in college baseball? Because that seems to me, I don't, again, never recruited, not a college baseball coach. It seems like, Hey, it's, it's pretty freaking hard. And I've, I've been able to help a little bit on the scouting side and that's not easy to be able to recruit and recruit well. And I know you recruited one of our players, uh, Amart, but, uh, and he turned out really, you know, great. He's awesome. But how do you go, how do you, how do you become a good recruiter in, in college baseball? Yeah. Um, I, I think that that comment that you referenced is is about two things. One is understanding yourself. So what am I good at? Like what what am I good at coaching? What am I good at developing? What am I good at dealing with? And recruiting players sort of fit into that, right? So if if I'm a if I'm my talent or my my skill as a coach, if, if that if that is based around a, a certain technique or a certain style, then I need to get players that fit into that. Otherwise, I'm going to be beating my head against the wall, and so are the players. Because if if I'm if I play in a ballpark that is really offensive, and my style is to try and get the ball in the air and hit homers and do damage, and you know that that sort of um, sort of slant, then I shouldn't recruit guys who can't do those things, right? Or or don't have the ability to learn how to do those things. So understanding what you're trying to do and then having the eye to match that so I can find players that do that. Um, so that's part of it. But the other part of it is the communication piece of what do I value? What can I do for you? And what can what am I going to expect out of you? And conveying that vision to those players and parents to get them to say, yeah, this is the guy for me. This is what this is who I want to entrust my development with. And I think those are the best recruiters is the guys who know what they're looking for and then know how to communicate that vision to those people that they are actively recruiting. Now, there are also good recruiters who in, in a short-term window are pretty good at it because they're, they can really talk, you know, they have that communication piece. I think that's that I don't know any recruiters who aren't good talkers, aren't good communicators. And it doesn't mean always slick, although often it, it feels slick or sort of the used car salesman cliche that, that, that gets thrown at us. But I think more it's about communicating honestly and genuinely who you are and what you're about, what you're trying to do and what you have available to this player. Um, so I think I think that ability to combine those two things, what am I actually looking for? What am I good at? What what, what am I capable of, of accentuating and developing? And then the ability to communicate that to people so that they understand that and, and are attracted to that as well. It's no different than coaching, right? If, if, if I think you needed to change this, that, or the other thing, I need to be able to communicate that to you so that you go, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm in. Let's do that. And here's and and I understand how we're going to get there now. Um, you want buy-in in, in college. This gets thrown around a lot. And to your point about what's different between college and pro is college kids. Everybody says, "Well, you got to get the buy-in, right? You got to get them to everybody to coalesce around a, a target and an objective, and you got to get them to to jump into the thing." And that's that's true. But buy-in is is created when you are a clear communicator of your vision and the expectations. That's it. Like it's. It's not, I have to convince you of something. I have to sweet talk you or trick you or like, I just have to communicate clearly and honestly about what we're trying to do here. And most people are like, cool, I'm in now. Great. I, I, now I know what, what to expect. Now I know what you want me to do. Now I know what I need to do to fit into this. And yeah, you have 
people along the way, both in college and pro ball who don't, don't get that. But those are the people who are not going to succeed anyway, because they, they are on a different agenda. They are about themselves in a different way, in a, in a non-productive way, you know, baseball, especially hitting is such a selfish thing inherently. That's okay. We, we need to harness that correctly. But, um, but if, if, if you are not honest with yourself about what you need to do and where you need to go, then, then you're not going to buy into that um, process and, and, and that development plan. And that's, again, it goes back to being honest about the whole thing. Like, are you really as good as you think you are? Are you really as developed as you think you are? Are you really going where you, where you say you're going? Are you really doing the things that you, you purport to, to be doing? And if not, then you're probably not going to buy whatever I'm, I'm talking about, no matter if it's, if it's, if it's good, bad, or ugly, it's, it's just, it's not going to happen. But if you, if you can clearly put that plan out there and what you're going to be about and how you're going to, to help these people, man, good players want to get on board with that. And that's, that's recruiting is you're trying to get good players who want to be on board and can't wait to get to school. Can't wait to come play for you. That's the magic of, of good recruiting and good recruiting classes is you commit those kids and they actually show up because they can't wait to get better with you. Man, you got me fired up, ready to go play for you right now at a college. <laughs> <laughs> well, head on down. I got an open cage right now. Let's uh, let's go. Let's get some work in. <laughs> um, I was talking to to one of my, my my buddies who's coached in college and recruiting. He's like, man, you know, it's really hard to develop a relationship with the kid who you're recruiting because they ha- you have to get them committed so early. And it seems like you know if you don't do it, then the next guy is, and it just you don't have the time to really develop that relationship or really the energy to, because you have other guys who maybe may end up committing and you can't lose out on them. And it's just the time factor. Would you agree with that? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I mean, not to, not, and that's not to, to disparage your friend or, or say he's wrong so much as, as I think that's, that's again, that's perspective. Like, I, I forget what the quote is, but somebody, one of those sort of motivational Instagram posts popped up um, on my feed uh, a while back, probably six months or a year ago. And normally I, I, I sort of chuckle at them because they're sort of cliche ridden and, and, and overused or whatnot. But it was, it was something to the effect of, you don't think there's enough time. There's always enough time. You don't think you have a, a, you know, five minutes here or 15 minutes there. You can always create an, those opportunities. And, and, and they worded it, pretty eloquently and is talking about if you want it, then you can make time for it. And I sort of feel that way about, about what you're talking about there. Um, and we, we used to do this with, with players in college who said, I, I just don't have time to get in that extra cage session. I just don't have time to get in, you know, that, that extra study session, or I don't have time to do another weight room, uh, lift, um, uh, come back around. And I'm like, really? Okay. So let's do this. Let's break your day down 24 hours into 15 minute increments. And you put all the things in there that are taking your time right now, chasing girls, um, playing video games, going to the beach, um, talking to your parents, talking to your buddies, sitting on the couch, like whatever it is, you put all of that stuff in there. You're still chunks in there. There's 15 minutes here. There's 15 minutes there. So if I move 15 minutes of video game play up, now I create a 30 minute window. Boom. Now I can get in the cage for, for 30 minutes. You can always find those times. And I think we often do that to ourselves as, humans because we get tired especially when we're adults you know we don't have the energy level that we had when we were younger and it's easy to get upset with the recruiting process and you get frustrated i i, I certainly feel this have days or moments in the recruiting process when i was doing it where you just were like this is stupid i can't believe i have to i have to pander to these 15 year old kids and their stupid parents and you're like i'm just being i'm lashing out here i'm just i'm being irrational here their their world is is about them and it should be right so i need to get into i need to fit into their to their realm like if i'm mad that they don't have that they didn't call me back quick enough or i'm mad that they're not saying yes to me quick enough that's a me problem that's that's i haven't done enough to get in with that that person if if you're really invested and you're really committed to getting to know somebody you can do it in five minutes on a phone call you can if you're listening to them, really listening to them and asking them an interesting question or just being there to engage with them, you've made a connection, right? And if you haven't, then that's probably not a connection that's going to happen. Move on, go somewhere else, right? Don't, don't beat your head against the wall if it's not already there. And we get enamored and that goes back to my point about 
what makes a good recruiter is being able to know what you're looking for. What, what, what are those components? What is the personality style? What is the, what is the aptitude? What is the appetite for information that I'm looking for? And does that match what I'm good at? And if it doesn't, then, then move on, go somewhere else. Um, good recruiters know that sometimes the best recruits are the ones they don't get, right? There's decisions about not going after somebody because it's not going to be a fit versus I got, I think this player's really, really talented. So I have to get him because UCLA is going to get him if I don't. And I got to win that battle. It's about the guys you do get. The guys that you get to coach are, are what matters, not the guys you didn't. And I think if you just adjust the way you look at that process and it's hard, we'll have, you're going to fail a lot because you're going to get frustrated. And you know, it's just, it's not always fun to just talk on the phone with somebody who's not really engaged or, or if that's all you can do for, for a certain while, cause they're so young, I get it. It's, it's not always great, but I think if you're committed to building a relationship, you're going to ask better questions. You're going to listen better. Kids will tell you stuff. They will. They don't always know it, but they'll tell you stuff. They'll tell you stuff with their silence. They'll tell you stuff with their disinterest. Um, if, if, they, if you can't get them going on the phone, you're talking about the wrong stuff. Find something else to connect on, right? It's dating in, in this weird, jacked up way. It's like dating. Like if you're sitting across from somebody on a date and, and you they're doing this, checking their watch or looking around or drinking, like you're not, they're not engaged. You have not engaged them. Find something else to talk about. Ask them a different question, right? Get them going on something. And mostly that's listening. Like people love to talk about themselves, right? Get them talking about themselves. They'll reveal things about themselves. And now you've got a plan. Now you've got somewhere to go. Now you've got something to connect on, right? What is the thing that every human being, when they meet somebody for the, you and I just did it, right? We connected because of Amar. Hey, I know somebody, you know, how cool is that? Right. That's right. what we do. The first thing you meet somebody is you're like, Hey, where are you from? And you're like, Oh, I'm from Pittsburgh. Oh, Hey, do you know somebody? From, or I went to Pittsburgh once, right? We try and find those common ground things, right? We, we need to find something in connection with other human beings. That's the way we operate. It's the way we're wired. So you just got to dig a little bit more. You got to be a little more, more intentful with your listening about what they're giving you so that you can find that connection point. And, and I think if you're just, if you, if you want to find that time, you'll do it. And, and again, it might mean carving out another five minutes to make one more phone call or get one more phone call in to get a kid to call you or whatever it might be. But you can do it. You can there's time. It's not perfect. Like I'm not saying that the system is good. I don't like the way we'd have to do it, but it's what we have to do right now. So instead of whining, complaining about it, I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to make the most of it. It's like the transfer portal argument. Like everybody's complaining about the transfer portal. Kids are transferring or teaching. Like, Hey, I get it. Like, yeah, in a perfect world with kids stay in one place and tough it. Like, Oh, sure. I, I'll, I'll listen to that argument. But I also have to deal with this, right? So let's make the most of it. Let's take advantage. And let's find a kid who is in a bad situation, who needs a better place, and will be a great fit here. We'll thrive, and I can help that guy. Find a way to make a positive out of it. Or find a way to take advantage of whatever the system is, the situation is, even if you want it changed, right? I can't change the way we recruit right now. If I have to go back and recruit because I get a college job, then I'm going to have to deal with it as is. Now, I might want to try and change it down the road. And and I think there's some really smart coaches in our game that are trying to do that. And I would certainly love to offer some suggestions on how we can alter this to make it better. But in the interim, this is what I have to deal with. Then I know. Now I know. I know that I know the score. I, I know what I have to do. It's no different than we we're talking about player development. Like if a player just knows, like, hey man, honestly, here's what you need to do. And then they can disagree or not, but now at least they know and they can take ownership of going after it or not, right? I'm not willing to do that. I don't want to do that. Okay, then don't. Then go away. That's fine. That's your choice. We're all we're all free to, to make those choices. And the same thing in recruiting. You're free to not call that kid. You're free to say, I'm not dealing with 15-year-olds. You can certainly do that. Or you can find a better way to do it or find a better way for you to approach it so that you get more out of it. How would you recommend um, from the other side where from the player and the parent – perspective because they want to be recruited you know that's the thing is you know the college recruiting and wanting to get a scholarship and play college baseball and, and they're always wanting to that's why all these kids are going to these showcases and, and doing this and that on social media I mean what would be your recommendation for the parents and players out there um, and I'm asking because obviously you can't go and watch as a college coach every single travel baseball right. game and I assume you have connections that 
point right. you in, in the right area. So is it really vital and important to be on a travel team who whose coach has connections for the reason that you just you don't have the time to go and see everyone? Sure. I mean, it's certainly helpful. I don't, I don't think there's any uh, there. That's not a bad thing to have have play for somebody who can connect you with with more people. Um, I think ultimately it comes down to ownership of the process again. Like if what's important to you, is it the school? Is it honestly the school? Like, Hey, I just want to go to, to this sort of academic institution. Cause that matters to me more than anything. Or I want this type of school first and foremost, like I want a small private Catholic university. Great. Well, now your list is narrowed. Now you can attack that and, and, and go to priority number two, understanding again, what you're looking for as parents and players what am I, what am I really into? Like it is, am I trying to play in the big leagues? Okay. Well then if you're not picking a place based on who can develop you, then you're doing it wrong or you don't really care about getting into the big leagues, right? You're not matching those two things up. Um, I, you know, I had, I had, a, I had a, uh, a hitting session with a player the other day who plays um, at a really a, a college blue blood program. One that everyone would say, Oh yeah, that's one of the best programs in the country. And I won't say which one, but uh, we spent some time and I said, All right, well, walk me through what, what are the things you worked on this year from an offensive development standpoint? What, what, were the, what was your routine? What did they help you mechanically with? What did they help you approach wise with? And he's like, oh, well, we, we didn't do any of that. Like we had, a, we, had a, we had to do these seven things in the cage before we came out to on-field BP. That's, that was our development plan. And I'm like, oh, what were those? He's like, oh, it was just, you had to go through the stations. Like it was basketball machine, curveball machine. And I'm like, was it well, okay? So, did they help you like strat? He's like, no, no, no one was in there. I just did it, and then I came out to the field where they were, and then I just hit BP, and they, and they said this or or nothing, right? And I'm like, and I'm like, wow, okay. Um, why did you go there? And he's like, well, because it's that school. And he's like, I just thought it was. I assumed that it was that 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 they were good because they were, they were coaching there, and and I just that's sort of an extreme example. But there are, you know, there are levels to development, right? And, and some places are relying on, hey, we're just trying to get better players. We're not going to necessarily, we're kind of trying not to screw them up, maybe, right? And other places are truly good at development and are focused on development. Um, and other places are about environment. Like everybody's got a little bit different thing that they do. And and again, I'm not even disparaging that that staff because maybe their skill set lies somewhere else in in toughness building or 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 you know environment or game strategy, like you know fine. And, 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 uh, and that's all well and good. You do what you do, but as a player, if you're, if your goal is truly to, to play in the big leagues or to see how far you can take this game and how long you can play, then if you're not picking based on who's going to help you do that, then I just don't know what you're doing. I just don't understand your process then. And I just think your process is flawed. So asking the questions that match up to what your priorities are, um, I think understanding personality, everybody throws the word fit around, like, oh, we're trying to find the right fit. Well, if you don't know how to define the word fit, then you're not, you're just spinning your wheels. You're just throwing darts at, at a wall. Understand what you need. Understand who you are. Understand what you, do you need to be pushed? Are you a player who's not necessarily incredibly self-motivated or, or, or disciplined? Then you need someone who's going to push you, right? Or if you already have that personal discipline and you are a rock star in, in those ways, but you need some technical expertise, then pick somebody who's got the technical expertise, right? Um, if you need to be around an environment that is free of more free of distractions, don't come to UC Santa Barbara, right? Because you're going to be distracted, right? <laughs> uh, go somewhere else and I won't name names, but um, understand what you need and the environment and the, and the help along the way that you're really going to need to get where you want to go and make it based on that. It's usually based on money. It's usually based on sex appeal of, of the school and in just descending order of those things. Oh, I want to be, I want to be power five D one. Right. And then, uh, you know, and it's just, it's a sliding scale down from there. Like, so I'm a power five D one guy. Okay. Well then it's the sexiest schools that I, you know, that I know. And, or I, I know that I'm not a, a power five guy, but I'm a, I'm a D one guy or bus. Right. So I'll pick a terrible D1 program over an incredible D2 or NAI school because it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's the sex factor. Um, we, we get caught up in the status, both of money and prestige, as opposed to really looking at who's going to, who's going to ultimately get me where I want to go or give me an opportunity to get where I want to go. That's the most important advice I, I can give parents and players is to be honest about that process. 
because most people are not, honestly. Most people get caught up in who's got the coolest gear, who's got the coolest ballpark, who's got the biggest name, the flashiest thing. What are my friends and, and, and neighbors going to react to most? If I say I committed to this school versus this school, which one is going to get me more? Like, oh my gosh, look at you. Wow, amazing, you know, as opposed to <laughs> having to explain like, well, I'm going to this school because their coaches are going to are, are going to be better at developing me or I feel like that's a better fit for me to develop into what I want to be. And ultimately, I don't care about anything but reaching my goal. Okay, if you're that person, then you'll ask better questions and you'll dig a little deeper. Outstanding. That's incredible. I tell you what, if you recruit me for I'm I'm going I'm going to where you're at. I am. I'm going there. Let's go. So. Let's get you up. Let's get me let's a job and uh we'll sign you up. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. This has been a lot of fun and I'm I'm so happy uh you know, Amar and I, you know, connected and then he recommended, you know, uh you and spoke really highly of you and it um small world, but it's just um I'm glad we we got to connect on here and I just I really appreciate your time and 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 sharing your knowledge and experience and um, I had a lot of fun. I enjoyed this. I enjoyed it immensely too. Uh, I am so thankful that we connected because I've heard, like I said, I've heard a lot of great things about you. And Amar is one of my favorites. Um, so keep him in line and, um, he needs a little push every now and then. So, uh, crack <laughs> the whip on that boy and, uh, and keep him going forward. He's good. He's a good one. Yes.